Or Katar. Uh, this, welcome to the Bible Preacher. Katar? Uh, where we talk about the Bible and make a playlist. Uh, and today talk about soccer. I'm Matt Cato, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, California. And I'm uh, Zach Perez. I'm the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado Boulder. And Matt, this is a very special episode. Uh, I've been looking forward to it for a long time. Uh, I've never put more links, uh, done more research for our uh, endeavor here than I have this week. And uh, to help us along, uh, we've got a guest. Uh, Ewan North is with us. Ewan is, a uh, little context here, Ewan is the uh, head coach, director, founder of a thing called Revolution Running. Is that correct, Ewan? Yeah, I'd say that's pretty spot on. And I'd just like to say, uh, people colloquially in the area oftentimes call it Rev run that's um, that's and it. so as an official reverend who ran at one point mm-hmm. uh i always found it a little insulting uh that i couldn't like lay claim to that title do we need uh, to get branding rights from you well i just like it was just a personal frustration right so rev run is going on and then our friend uh ramin was around mm, that's right. uh who was a reverend of sorts and uh of sorts he's a reverend yeah. uh a uh, 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 public religious th- uh, figure there and 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 Ramin was faster than me and so I couldn't even be like that was that's one of the greatest frustrations of living in Boulder right is I couldn't even be the fastest like reverend in town uh one time some like name. kids it was called the fast pastor that was Ramin's name yeah. and that wasn't you so sorry it wasn't me right uh one time some like kids out of like Radford College like moved to Boulder these like twin milers I don't remember their names anymore but they moved into this apartment complex across the street from my, like the townhouse I was living in in Boulder and I saw them from time to time and then one day I was watching like it was the road mile like before Boston and it was on like real NBC and they were like doing the like the going down the, like the starting line doing like the face shots of the the guys in the mile and it was the guy from across the street and I was like oh I'm not even the fastest guy on my block, literally. Uh, so is, I'm glad I'm. That is what it's I'm like glad I'm spending ten to twenty hours a week running so that I can be the second fastest person on the street on my block. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the podcast, Ewan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, happy to be here. Now we have acquired your services uh, because we are not a very good preaching podcast. Because we do things like this, uh, a World Cup preview, uh, dear listener. If uh, you didn't know the World Cup is happening, uh, may catch you by surprise because it's not supposed to be happening in late November, uh, but it is. And we'll get to why that's happening. Uh, The United States of America, thanks be to sweet baby Jesus, have qualified for this World Cup after uh, eight long, painful years and uh, have been drawn uh, into a group with England, which uh, you're not going to believe this, is where Ewan's from. and uh, who Ewan supports. So Ewan's going to help us. They're also drawn into a group with whales. Uh, so I'm sure Ewan has better intel on whales and dragons than we do. And Iran. And uh, one of the neat things about Ewan is that he was um, a political Iranian? prisoner in Iran for a while. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, I was a journalist back in the 80s. And yeah, I was, I was <laughs> jailed for 10 years. Yes, I'm familiar, fully familiar with Iran. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Can't wait for that in-depth insight. The first thing that we should say uh, is that this World Cup is being held. Uh, Matt, I hope to educate you and our listeners today, okay? One of the things I do want to educate you on is perhaps how you might, if you were to say the name of the host country, which is a thing you can do or not do, right? Because uh, we got sports washing going on here. Uh, it's Qatar, Qatar, uh, one of those two things. Do you have it up? I still don't know how to pronounce the name of the country, but I know it's not whatever Matt said at the beginning of the podcast. It's not Qatar? It's not Qatar. All right. What is it? It is Qatar. Absolutely. Qatar. No, no other, in, in my personal opinion. And, if and Ewan say, would know because the British held it as a colony for a little while. Hey, now, let's not, that's a whole nother path. Let's leave that behind. It's easier. Uh, um, and uh, yeah, due to lots of corruption and stuff, um, <laughs> and just you know, I don't know, Matt, if you've ever seen the film Without Limits, which is the Steve Prefontaine story. There are two different like Prefontaine oh. movies. 
and this is the good one and it really like shows you how like insane like the aau and like amateur olympics and stuff was uh, and you're like wow that's so corrupt and you watch it and you're like it's all happening in the 60s and 70s or whatever and you're like man things used to be really messed up hmm. no change no change on that front actually they've gotten more sophisticated at how they do it uh and that's probably true for all international sports body if your office is headquartered in switzerland hmm. well, i'll do some self-reflection about why <laughs> There's a reason that they're neutral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of which, Seth Blatter was the uh, director of FIFA at the time, mm-hmm. uh, who has not left Switzerland in a number of years because he would be extradited to the United States. Um, so it's a nice, safe place. Uh, so corruption is one thing, right? And, you know, in Western countries, we're pretty anti-corruption and think of it as a bad thing. Other cultures, perhaps, uh, are more have a more favorable impression of corruption, uh, and I don't think the corruption issue is the most like pressing here, right? Uh, it is that I mean, so it's insane that Qatar, not Qatar, is Matt uh, slightly smaller than the state of Connecticut, um, and so that country is going to uh, host a tournament with thirty-two teams uh, and millions of people from around the world. They didn't have, I believe they had one stadium in 2010, 2011 when they were awarded the World Cup. Uh, and so they had to build from scratch seven more stadiums. Again, a physical wow. location smaller than the size of Connecticut uh, and had to build places for people to stay because they obviously don't have the, why would you have the hotel infrastructure to host that many people? Um And so they began this, like, they spent $250 billion on preparing for the World Cup, uh, including stadium building, infrastructure, all that kind of stuff. Kind of Um, similar to a U.S. political campaign. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Um, uh, Yeah. They used guest workers to build most of this stuff, which is where the the most horrific stuff happens, um, in that... uh, the vo- the the majority are from like the, the uh, subcontinent in the Asia, so uh, a ton of Nepalese folks, people from that part of the world, mm-hmm. would come as guest workers and then uh, would work under pretty near slavery uh, conditions. They took their passports uh, and held their passports while they were there, and so they couldn't leave. Um, according to independent reporting, six thousand five hundred guest workers died in um, during the construction of. Uh, all this stuff. Uh, so that's, I don't know. We don't need to rank how horrific everything is, but uh, that's pretty bad. Uh, well, they, well, they do say still... that, well, depends on who you listen to, but they do say, of course, this is the Qatari authorities saying this, of course. They do say that 6,500 number includes nat- you know, natural death. So it isn't necessarily just the migrant workers that, were killed on the job necessarily, but of course, how do we how do we trust what they're saying? So, and basically, an awful lot of people died during the construction period of these stadiums in a state that kind of doesn't have the best human rights or working conditions. So, that is up for debate. Speaking of human rights, uh, it is illegal to be gay in uh, Qatar. So, uh, that's. Uh, Something. Uh, yeah, but we're going to do a World Cup um, and it's really going to happen. And it, it usually, you know, the World Cup, Matt, we were reflecting briefly before the, uh, the pod started here about our formative experience. You and with the uh, 2010 World Cup, South mm-hmm. Africa mm-hmm. is Matt and I's perhaps most formative World Cup. It hit at the right time of young adulthood where he didn't have enough responsibilities to like, like I was completely unemployed uh, at the time. And uh, had a job coming, but didn't have to do it yet. So I like literally just watched the World <laughs> Cup that summer. Oh, nice! And like made. Why didn't uh, you just stay doing that? That was a good career move. That was a good career move. <laughs> my uh, roommate, and still roommate, uh, was not as enthused with my uh, lack of paying rent. World Cup. Lack of paying rent. Yeah, she didn't like the uh, the collages I made on the wall out of like the free. <laughs> Spanish daily newspaper in Chicago as oh. much as I did. <laughs> but um, yeah, but that was in June, right? Uh, which is when the World Cup typically plays, which is when there's a break and uh, when people usually play uh, the football, soccer. And uh, it turns out, Matt, 
you know, I believe this in the Middle East, in the desert, it's hot in the summer. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the yeah. the news reports typically describe it in Celsius, so I don't know how hot it is, but it's hot enough that um, they moved it to to now. So we are playing a winter World Cup in Qatar because they're rich, basically. But if you if you want to talk about uh, you know an ethical direction, at least they did that. You know, for the for the, the, did, yeah. of the welfare of the players, staff, fans, at least they had the foresight to be to say, even though we have gigantic amounts of money to put into this and we're going to bribe you into getting it in our country, at least at least they all decided that that was the best uh, for everybody to put it in the winter. Uh, the question for me is that is also wholly ridiculous, like a, a tournament that every comes around every four years and traditionally is played in the summer because that's when all the, the leagues can are taking their break. So it fits in naturally to that. Not every league, but most leagues. Uh, so it seems wholly ridiculous. Forget everything else. You know, that's a whole discussion point in my view in of itself mm -hmm. that why would you hold a World Cup in the winter? It's, it's absolutely bizarre. We have commercials over here in the US uh, on some of the major networks, you know, with 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 Santa in them, uh, uh, promoting the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, like, John Hamm is Santa. Yeah, yeah, it was John Hamm. That's right. Yes, yes. But that that is sort of driving me crazy. But at the same time, it's making me excited about Christmas and soccer. <laughs> oh, they're so, getting you coming and going. Yeah, yeah. So, but I definitely have an issue with that. Though it is worth noting that was not their original plan. Like the hubris of when this is announced, Matt, is, I mean, it's, 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 it's remarkable. It's unbelievable, right? So they were awarded the World <laughs> Cup actually on the same day. They did two, for, two at once. Russia got 2018 mm -hmm. and Qatar got 2022, um, <laughs> which was a surprise to many outsiders. Again, like you have to like bid and like talk about your infrastructure and stuff it was surprising but when they announced it they were like oh no we will do it in the summer we'll just build stadiums with air conditioning like oh, oh yeah that was it they were going to build covered stadiums with air conditioning something like that yeah it took years before they were like well actually uh and people at the time were like because because as you would raise it right in the in like the football world that probably was the most like revol initially revolting thing was like you're going to ruin like everybody else's stuff and you're just going to make everybody move and you're going to plop this thing into uh, late November, early December. But they were like, oh, no, 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 we're not going to do that. It'll be at the same time. And it was like, that doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Yeah, like, right. I, it will happen in the desert. And then they're like, ah, just kidding. <laughs> Maybe it is a tad hot. I want to look that up. I want to look. I know that the reports are that even now, when, you know, when their winter time is like 32 degrees or so which people coming actually from England, I live here in the US, so I mean, it's cold now, but summers are obviously hot. Uh, people coming from, say, England, Northern Europe, that's flipping hot. That is, that's like ridiculous. That's, that's like burn your arms off immediately. You know, immediate lobster tan to, to a Brit, that. So that's, that's 96 so, degrees Fahrenheit yeah, for our yeah. non-metric listeners. There you go. So having, I mean, having it in the summer would have been, I don't even know. I'm going to have to look that up, but I'm guessing. It uh, would have been like having it outside in Bakersfield in August. Whoa. Whoa. That's, <laughs> is that Death Valley? <laughs> is that where Matt is? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's cold here. It's like 60s. Um, we have, I mean, I guess our, our, Largest stadium is not quite. It's covered. I don't know that it'd be fully air conditioned for 100 degree heat. Hmm. Well, we're going to find tough. out in 2026 are they, are they, because the <laughs> World Cup is coming home in 2026 right. to make up right. to try to 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 get the uh, Attorney General to to relax a little bit. They did award us the 2026 World Cup, uh, which is not going to be played in Denver, which is a bummer. Uh, and to come uh, out of here. We're going to have to go to LA. We didn't have to build any stadiums. We already have plenty. Just so you know, well, that's, that's are there any iconic stadiums that have been built? Because I remember when it was in China, there was like the bird's nest deal, or maybe mm. that was for the Olympics. But are there like, uh, are there any, any, any cool infrastructure that's been built that will never be used again? Oh yeah, in Qatar, 
I think. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think that, you know, as, uh, the question then becomes, right, like we've laid out how clearly horrific and this is a bad idea and has been bad for lots of people. Uh, but it is a thing that I that fills me with joy usually every four years, uh, especially this year. You and I've gotten my daughter on the sticker book, uh, sticker album oh, thing. Yeah. So we've been doing that. And that's, that's what I used to do as a so kid much too. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes I even let her do it. Uh, <laughs> you better look over daddy's shoulder, right? Yeah, yeah. You don't want to put it on crooked. I got it. Um, uh, I'm gonna like I am a fan or whatever, right? And like, so how? First of all, right? I don't think not engaging has much of an effect on things. Um, like pretending it doesn't exist, I don't think it changes too much. Um, and uh, so if I'm going to engage with it, which I am like, is there an ethical way? What's the most ethical way for me to engage with what is clearly a giant humans rights violation? Yeah. Well, it's an issue, man. Like, I mean, Heather and I, my wife were just literally just talking about this before, before I came on here. Uh, and she didn't know that any of this stuff was going on. Didn't know anything about Qatar. Um, any of the issues that are coming up. And all of a sudden, she's like, oh, wait a second. You're, so you're still going to watch this. Zach is still going to watch this. Our other friend who, who is uh, you know, quite a spiritual guy, a guy called Michael Morrison, who's our, um, our other PT at our PT clinic, he's also going to watch it. And she's like, Michael's going to watch it? So all of a sudden, it's come into question for someone like her who was actually starting to get a little bit excited about the World Cup. So, yeah, it is, in my mind, it is definitely an ethical problem for all of us to decide, do we want to participate? You know, and obviously we all are. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> does that mean that our morals are not matching up with our actions? And it, that, is, that is tricky. There's, there's many examples in life where you can, when you can look at that, and this is definitely one of them because it's definitely screaming to me that I shouldn't really be doing this. I want to stand up for what's right. Uh, I don't believe that Qatar should have been awarded it in the first place. But I'm so excited now to get this World Cup going. And that's a massive juxtaposition of where my morals lie in, uh, in relation to uh, what I'm actually going to do. So how do you guys feel about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so here in Los Angeles, uh, in addition to the World Cup, we've also been awarded the Olympics in 2028. We How much money did uh, have, have a lot of sports here. Yeah, I, it's a great time to be an Angelino. Um, but there is a movement. I mean, I'm involved in a lot of um, local um, social justice organizations, and there's a No Olympics movement uh, here on the ground that says basically the Olympics... Uh, always bring gentrification. They always bring displacement. They bring a heightened police presence. There are all kinds of bad things that come with the Olympics. So really we should just oppose the Olympics. Mm. And I think that's a legitimate moral choice. At the same time, um, there are also many people in my community that love sports. <laughs> you know, and it's so like, it's not, um, I, I mean, I think, yes, you can make the choice to boycott and say no. You can also make the choice to engage and try to push for better conditions, knowing that, like, yeah, people do like sports. This is something that brings joy to our lives. Even in marginalized communities, it can bring joy to your life. And so is there a way to continue engaging while keeping your eyes wide open um, and finding those ways to make a difference? Qatar, maybe much worse. Maybe that does tip it over the over the scale. But I feel like these conversations are actually always relevant right and so it's just a matter of like okay we're gonna make our we're gonna make our call here so yeah i feel like we can make the decision to enjoy the sport and also keep our eyes open for where we can make voices heard yeah i i'd agree with that but i i also think one of your points that as far as Qatar goes, maybe to highlight the problem that is in mm -hmm. a country like that that okay it's skeptical Yeah, there is, um, 
there is no uh there are no like uh ethically pure choices uh right like uh, purity is a, a false god to chase after here um so yeah i think you well said there matt um and I think how I've decided to handle it for myself, my own like tensions and stuff is to talk about it, you know, like you and said, um, that, um, that this attempted sports washing, I don't think has gone as well <laughs> as they would have hoped. Right. Um, and the more that we're clear and explicit about it, um, about what's going on about that stuff, uh, the more that I think we're effective in, in having that, strategy backfire i mean what what comes out of this world cup right so like if before let's let's say they're not awarded the world cup um lots of people don't know even how to pronounce qatar yeah myself included perhaps after this world cup we go oh yeah that's a place with some real human rights issues like is that how they want to i don't right i know spotlight may well uh be a thing I'm glad we solved that. Good. Now let's move on to talking about players. <laughs> um, yeah. The other thing I'd just like this, the other thing to say here, right. Is that actually with like this situation, I think there's a lot more like, um, like you said, Matt, looking for places to engage. I think the sweet spot for engaging is, um, is bigger uh, because it's like the host, right. I actually feel much worse for people like you and like, uh, uh, Newcastle fans, I think like I feel really bad for uh, because so Newcastle is has been the kind of a long suffering club in England, in the north, right, more economically depressed. Um, And recently the Saudi uh, Sovereign Wealth Fund bought them. And like this year, they're doing amazing. Right. Uh, And they're directly owned by MBS. Right. Like, so how do you being able to separate the, like the two things, right. Which I feel like I'm eight, we're able to do a bit with the, the event uh, with the world cup is, uh, is an option you don't necessarily have there. And that's much more, I like, gosh, thankfully Stan Kroenke is as, wor- as bad as it gets for me. So. Uh, world cup group B preview. Uh, what's what, what, what's group B? What, uh, t- t- tell me about this and what do I need to know? So, you know, Matt, we start with 32 teams from around the world that are equitably distributed. Uh, Africa, a continent with 54 different national teams, gets five bids. Uh, South America doesn't have that many. Nearly half the countries get to go with their four or five bids. Uh, Asia gets five bids. And the uh, North America, the Central America, and the Caribbean get uh, 3.5 bids. But Europe gets 13. Uh, so we uh, equitable. Uh, we draw numbers out of hats and it's a very fancy show. Uh, and uh, we, the United States of America got drawn into this group with uh, number one, the seeded team. There are seeded teams, right? The top eight teams, well, the top seven teams in the world, plus the host countries uh, going one pot and England. This is England's group here. And we got drawn into the group with England, uh, Wales, which it turns out is not England and uh, Iran. Fun fact. Uh, we've played all these teams except for England in fairly recent world or except for Wales in fairly recent World Cups. Uh, do you recall back to the 2010 World Cup where we played uh, uh, England and when we won, uh, one, we won that one, game one-to-one? One, one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Iran beat us uh, in a really horrific showing for us in 1998 in the last game uh, in France. That has to hurt. No, doesn't hurt. <laughs> What's that? That has to hurt being beaten by Iran. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, everything went wrong that tournament. Uh, nearly beat Germany in the first game, and then there are all kinds. Of, there are podcasts about everything that went wrong in that. They like went to a chalet and all this crazy stuff. Uh, but Matt, my goal, right, is everybody's going to be talking about Group B in the United States at least. Uh, group B and C. We'll, we'll get to Mexico, okay? Uh, but. In the English-speaking soccer media, Group B is where it's at because we have all the Anglos here in one group, English-speaking folks. Uh, so our goal, Matt, is you're going to be – well, first of all, Matt, how are you going to watch this World Cup? You were just asking me how you're going to watch it. But what are your World Cup watching plans? I don't know. I haven't figured them out yet. What do you recommend? Uh, 
Oh, I mean, you got to do communal. You got to find a communal gathering to watch because there's, uh, even if you don't know anybody, like you, you want to watch it with other people if you care about it. Uh, I remember very vividly, I, cause it was early in the morning that South Africa, the Algeria game, uh, the go, go USA, uh, Landon Donovan scores to send us out of the group, uh, to win the group. Actually. Uh, I was at uh, an Irish pub on the North side of Chicago by myself, like at nine in the morning with all these people who were very sad, very sad, very sad. And then we were all very happy. Uh, and you know, I remember very vividly, you got to be able to have those, have those memories, man. Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, I have had other friends ask me where I'm going to watch and even invite me over to the houses and things like that. I'm like, no, 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 no. I am going to the bar with all the other England fans because I want, I want community. I want atmosphere. I want a little craziness. And that's how you watch this stuff. Like Zach said, if you're sat at home watching it, yes, you see the exact same game. And actually, you'll hear the commentary much better. And actually, you'll probably be able to focus a lot better on the game. Um, but it's not as fun. And so you at least need two or three other buddies around you. You can either high five or give them, you know, crud for if you're against their team or whatever it is. But either way, it's going to be a good time. So, uh, yeah, could go out or get buddies over or whatever it is, but uh, experience it with others. Absolutely. Without fail. I think that's the first time anyone has said crud on the podcast. So uh, does that need to be uh, cut? That's, that's what we're known for. Bleak. Uh, Matt, so you're going to find a spot, right? There's lots of ways you can go about it. Like if you're by yourself, you, is it, well, I don't know. Is there, a, I mean, I'm sure there is a Mexican equivalent to the American outlaws who are hosting. I'm sure in Los Angeles, you have no problem finding other people to watch. It uh, there's not, yeah, not many fans here. No, <laughs> especially if the Mexican national team, um, there's a reason we never play Mexico in Los Angeles. Uh, Matt, here's what I want for you. Okay. I want you to be able to watch with other people and you know, as we've talked about a little bit recently, sometimes you want to look like a cool guy, you know? Uh, and uh, we want to help you look like a cool guy when people are talking about or watching the World Cup. So we're going to give you, you know, your 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 surface level preview, but then we're going to give you just a little bit, like some names in particular for you to drop from each team uh, that will make people be like, oh, he knows what he's talking about. Right. It's like at a good party. You always got to know what you're talking about, just to cover the bases, cover the bases, make yourself look good. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm looking at the outline here and I see that you even made hyperlinks to Wikipedia pages for each of these players, which is pretty impressive. So uh, let's, yeah, let's hear it. Some of the links are to help me remember who this guy is. Uh, uh, Let's start with America's team, which makes this triumphant return to the World Cup. You recall, you and I think you were there in, uh, was it 1930? Uh, when the U.S. made it all the way to the semifinals of the World Cup and won the third place game and finished third in the World Cup. So people say we have no football, soccer history. Uh, what are you talking about? The original World Cup, top four, baby. Uh, 1950, Joe Gaitchens. Uh we again beat England one-to-one uh, down in Brazil. Uh, we've got history, okay? There was a brief sabbatical from 1950 until 1990, 40 years, uh, in which we did not participate. But once 1990 rolled around and the soccer revolution fully got going, uh, NSA, NASL died so that we may live. Uh, we've been a part of every World Cup until the last one, and that's really painful. Um, but here's the good news, Matt. You and I have watched together uh, a lot of soccer over the years and watched a lot of national team soccer. And Matt, I'm going to say this. This is true. Without hesitation, this is the most talented U.S. team ever. Bold. Really? <clears throat> By far. <clears throat> I, I think... <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, the issue is they're young, right? But if you look at the roster, right? Uh, and if you want to judge talent by the, by the teams and leagues that people were playing in, uh, Christian Pulisic started, played a key role in winning the Champions League with Chelsea uh, two years ago. Uh, Weston McKinney starting regularly at uh, Juventus, right? You've got Leeds USA right now in the Premier League uh, with 
uh, Tyler, really run Tyler Adams, heart of that team, going to be the heart of our team. Uh, Brendan Aronson, who's only 20 years old, uh, who just emerging talent. Serginho Dest, who's starting every week at AC Milan. Uh, that's stuff you can't, like, that that would have been in our dreams. I remember waking up, uh, you and when I was living in Chicago, is when Landon Donovan went on loan to Everton mm. for, like, for like not even just a couple of months. Right. I remember waking up in the middle of the night just to watch Landon play for Everton. Right. Um, because wow, it's happening. I mean, I respect uh, you watching Landon. Oh, wrong, I'm, wrong side of the he, city, buddy. <laughs> the, uh, but it's happened now, right. There's talent all over the place here. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue is they are incredibly young, unproven, uh, and, uh, there's some big holes in important places, right? We don't have anybody can put the biscuit in the basket or the onion in the onion bag. Uh, the striker, the number nine, we don't, we don't have anybody proven that can do that or is it doing it at a particularly high level anywhere in the world. So we got some guys, we're going to stick up there. Hopefully they can find the back of the, uh, back of the net there. And, uh, then strangely for years as a U.S. fan, I lived off of, uh, lived off of the glory of us goalkeeping, mm-hmm. right? Like we may not have everything, but Timmy Howard was at Manchester United. Then he was at Everton again, forever. Uh, Casey Keller at Leicester city, uh, Brad Friedel career EPL guy. Uh, we've always had good guys. Brad Guzan, uh, played in EPL, right? And we don't have that this year. Surprisingly, like everybody thought Zach Steffen was going to go who's the backup at Man City left off the roster. And so we're playing the backup at Arsenal who just got there though. Uh, Matt Turner has been great, but it's not, it's an unknown. We don't know what we're going to get out of that. Where, where was Matt Turner before Arsenal? The new England revolution, which if you have to pick an MLS team based on your business name, uh, Ewan, yeah. Uh, yeah, I... new England, have you, have you approached them about a shirt sponsorship? Uh, revolution run I, running. Oof, Rev- I, I should, I should just think approach Red Bull to be honest with you. I think you should go big or go home. Why not? I mean, I'm sure they choose us over uh, an MLS. We're bigger, we're better. So for the United States, you know, everybody's gonna be talking about Christian Pulisic, uh, you know, cause he's the star or whatever. Uh, but you need to have a name in your bag that you can pull out that shows you really know what's going on. And for me, Ewan, if the U S plays well, it's because Jedi Robinson has a great tournament. Uh, left back for Fulham, been playing well. Uh, if the U.S. plays well, it's because Jedi Robinson has been all over the place. And the success, I think, depends on his ability to, uh, to cover, but also put the biscuit in the basket. Hmm. A lot of biscuits. Yeah, Jedi. I mean, I'm confused about him because he's actually English. Uh, so <laughs> it's he's true. kind of being a bit of a traitor, but... I guess there's some claim to, uh, you know, the USA via his great, great, great uncle, you know, at some point. So therefore he can play for the US, but it is what it is. He's been on the team for a while and you're right. He's, he's on form and he's, he's definitely a difference maker for the US team. Uh, but again, looking at this roster, you're right. It, it is strong. It is, it is talented. And they are young. Um, and maybe that actually helps them because naivety and youthful bravado is sometimes actually what you need because if you've had too much experience in international tournaments at this level, you might actually get nervous, you might be holding back too much, you're too worried about this team, these players, um, and when you're just coming into it, just we're just going to go for it, we don't care. Sometimes that's actually helpful. Um, I kind of equate that to, this is a running reference, but sometimes when you do your first marathon, you don't know what the hell you're into and you just sort of go for it. And sometimes it comes off. Uh, and then sometimes later when you do, you've done five, six marathons, you go into it knowing exactly what to expect and you kind of get nervous about it. You get worried about certain pieces. And, uh, and I sometimes think more experienced teams may suffer from that. So it might actually play, play to their strengths to, to be young, but ugh, there's also that experience piece where, when you go to these things, if you don't have experience going through a tournament, you may quickly come unstuck against some of the better teams. So we will see. And as with any team too, it's also about, forget the individuals for a second, it is a team sport at the end of the day, shockingly enough. 
uh, and some weaker teams on paper can actually do really, really well because they are a true team. Then there's no megastars, there's no superstars, there's no real standouts. And sometimes those teams can actually perform better because they're not just looking for these superstars. They're, they're actually working together as a team, and that's how they operate. And at the end of the day, if, if you can work well as a team, you can pull off some stuff. Um, so the U.S. to me is, woo, it, they could actually do really well or they could fall flat in their face. So, yeah, could go either way. It's going to be, that's actually going to be very exciting and interesting to see how they do. Jedi Robinson is also a great pick for Matt because Matt enjoys Star Wars. He's a Star Wars guy. And you should know, say. Matt. So here's the it's thing. Right? Yeah, I'm already a fan. His, that's not his name. I put he the just link. Just, it's a nickname. He, he just, <laughs> no. And it's not even a nickname other people gave to him. He just decided <laughs> a couple of years ago, he started asking people to call him Jedi. And everybody that's, did. That's good. And so I think now, I'm going to do that. Calls him Jedi Robinson. You, you know, could do it. Any of us could do it. If he can do it. I'm definitely going with Luke Skywalker. <laughs> the uh, fun fact, if you get to watch with me, Matt, uh, is that anytime I'm watching the U.S. play and Jedi does something that doesn't go well, I always say, uh, this is not the Jedi you're looking for. Oh, <laughs> Baby Yoda. <laughs> the other fun thing, Matt, that you should click on the link here. Uh, and I'll put a link to it in the in the show description. Is uh, the Ted Lasso thing they did? Did you see? Have you seen this? No. Uh, Ted Lasso made these giant posters that were basically notes from you know fictional Ted Lasso to each of the U.S. players, uh, and hung them as like billboards in each of their hometowns. Uh, and they're like these lovely, encouraging things. Really cute. Really cute. That's the other thing I'll add before we move on. They're young. They're really talented, but also like. Uh, soccer is a sociological thing they are this really like like really beautiful like mixture of like the multicultural culturalism of the united states mm. um that that it's not the uh pay for play club guys you know all respect to brian mcbride uh it's not those guys anymore right and that a bunch of them uh weren't born in the u.s right uh and have different connections to the u.s and stuff which is really neat uh if you're looking for a more uh Local connection, Matt. Haji Wright, who is a surprise inclusion, was born in Los Angeles. So Nice. And then locally here, my favorite. He's my favorite goalkeeper because he won us, well, won the U.S., the Gold Cup. Was it Gold Cup? Yes, it was Gold Cup. Saving, was, saving yeah. the penalty. Uh, and he's from Colorado, so I'm, I'm a big fan of his. And I think he's, I think he's a great keeper. And I think he's going far. Whether he'll start, I, I don't know. I don't know the other keepers, to be honest with you. So... But he's my fave. The, oh, I'd love to get him keepers. That's Ethan Horvath, who currently plays at in the second division in England, right? Yep, Luton Town, yeah. There we go, Luton Town. Matt, the third goalkeeper is your friend and mine, Sean Johnson. Sean John, uh, who spent years with the Chicago Fire, uh, who I really like. I think is a pretty good serviceable goalkeeper, though I still don't understand why Stephen Fry, the most accomplished MLS goalkeeper, uh, is not a part of the mix. But... Moving right along, Ewan, um, star-studded, hasn't been playing well lately, but, you know, played incredibly well at the Euros. Uh, It's the English national team. Mm -hmm. What what does Matt need to know about the uh, favorite team in the group here? I hope they're the favorite team in the group. Yeah, I mean, well, let's just go back a couple of years. They, back in 2018, the last World Cup, they uh, went to the semi-final, uh, lost to Croatia, who obviously made the final, and it was a relatively close-ish game. So they obviously went pretty far there. They have a talent, very talented squad. Um, and, well, you could say they're starting to age a tiny bit now, some of them. Uh, but then last year, or the Euro uh, Championships, it's obviously just European teams, uh, they went to the final and pushed Italy all the way to extra time and penalties and ended up, unfortunately, losing on penalties. But that really is a lot of good, pretty good level success at a very high level um, for this team. And this team heading to this World Cup, the England team heading to this World Cup, is by and large just, you know, the same contingent that went to those past two tournaments, give or take. 
Um, so you could say they've got quite a lot of experience going quite far in tournaments. There's a hell of a lot of talent, especially attacking talent. Um, so they're definitely up there as, as some of the favorites to kind of go all the way. Um, but like Zach said, their recent form hasn't been great. And I always wonder this about any team because even, you know, perennial favorites like Germany, even France, they've been losing to, le- you know, so-called lesser teams in the run-up to this World Cup. And I always wonder, are they losing or not doing well because they're rotating the squad a lot, they're trying different players out, they're trying different tactics, uh, different strategies with the team, and it's not particularly cohesive. Um, is that any reflection on how well a team is going to do at the actual World Cup when the, when the rubber meets the road here? Um, we will see. But this team is, sh- should, with the talent it has, the personnel it has, and its experience that it has, should be challenging for, to go all the way. Um, but I, I am skeptic at this point because of recent form that uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm, not, I'm just not sure. But that said, key players, obviously you've got Harry Kane, who's been our main man for years now. You know, world-class um, striker, always on it, always guaranteed to score. He's a fantastic penalty taker, good with set pieces. Um, so we will score goals. Um, we've got great people around him, such as uh, one of uh, Zach's favorites, Bakayo Saka, Major League Soccer there. Mm-hmm. Um, he's young and, and coming in with a lot of enthusiasm. Fantastic form with Arsenal right now. Um, we've got other players such as uh, Manchester City's Phil Foden, again, young, but super exciting, on good form. Um, Callum Wilson, um, who's also coming in with really good form. So we've got, we've got a good, really good front set and exciting too. James Madison from Leicester has just been drafted in. He's on excellent form. Um, so our forwards... Are I think it's only fair that the U.S. gets to keep claim Jedi Robinson in exchange we gave you James Madison, founding father. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's that's true. It's, I mean, he's probably getting on a little bit, so hopefully he can kind of still run and kick a ball, but uh, <laughs> he's on good form right now, so we'll, we'll take His it. human rights record, also not great, yeah. but pretty good. Does he bring the slaves with him, or is he... <laughs> They're already there, probably. They're already there, so that's okay. And then the, the, the tricky part uh, here, Matt, for you is, is perhaps our defense is, uh, it depends. Sometimes they can actually work really well together and sometimes they're just, they're just tripping and falling and, and making bad passes and making bad decisions. And frankly, I don't trust them at this point. We have a guy called Harry Maguire, who currently is Manchester United's captain. Um, and he's been on terrible form recently. And, and Ten Hag, there, uh, the Manchester United manager, hasn't even been including him, even though he's captain. Yet Gareth Southgate, who is England's manager, has, has put him in the team, and which has us all scratching our heads. Like, why would you put Harry, Harry Maguire in when he's not even playing right now? He's not playing well when he does play. So that's, that's a key central defender for us. However, like I said before, when it comes to a major tournament, I think everything goes out the window. It's, it's a different team. It's a different approach. It's a different atmosphere um, to general league play. So we will see. Again, I'm skeptical about that. You also have uh, people like Trent Alexander-Arnold in the team who plays for Liverpool, and he's, he's, a, he's a left back. Sorry, wait. Is he a right back? He's a, wait, he's a right back. So, yeah, yeah, he's right back. But he has some of the most uh, outstanding assists out of anybody in the entire league. Um, and he's a right back. So he's a, basically an attacking defender. <laughs> That's a good oxymoron. Um, but yeah, so we have people in like that, but a skeptical on defense as well, uh, but great attacking force. So it's, it's tricky. Let's quickly talk about Gareth Southgate as the manager. He obviously can't be criticized too much. That's where the problem comes for me here, Ewan, right? Yes. Like that's... Where I read English anxieties is there is so much attacking talent and Gareth Southgate is not going to unleash that. Correct. That's what I was going to go on to say is that you can't fault him because to this point he has taken us to a World Cup semi. He's taken us almost all the way in the Euros, the final, almost winning it, only losing it on penalties to Italy. So you you can say his approach while frustrating because he doesn't unleash the attacking force that we have. Uh, but he's got us really far in these tournaments. So is a more pragmatic approach actually the best way? 
what or what would we see if if he unleashed those those beasts in the attack? So oh, it's it's hard to say. It's, it's classically English, unfortunately, to hold back. <laughs> it's part of the natural national culture, I think, just to you know stiff up a lip and be pragmatic. And um, but it's super frustrating because we have so much talent, and we we as fans, as England fans, we just want to see that unleashed because when they are let go, it is unbelievable. And there's moments in some of the games in the past couple of tournaments where they are let go a little bit, and you see it. It's like no one can handle them. And I think if, if he can just let, let the brakes off at the right time, make the right substitutions at the right time, I think we can go far. But if he keeps the brakes on and our defense isn't quite up to scratch, we could be in a little bother, and I, I don't think we'll go too far in the tournament. So uh, whatever England shows up, whatever strategy Southgate de- decides to go with, will obviously determine how far we go. And But obviously, as a fan, it's been since 1966, we've won one World Cup, 66, and you've probably heard this mantra of it's coming home. And that's, you know, football was invented in England, and that's all we want to see. We, If we could win a World Cup, we we would just sit down for the next... We wouldn't care. We, we would just be so happy that we'd done it. We could just go to sleep and be cool and not have to worry about it again for a long time. So, uh, yeah. Can we do it? Well, we'll, 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 pl- we'll plan to have you on after England wins the world cup to check in with your <laughs> emotional I, state and see I, if, uh, see if that all has come I to pass. I love your American enthusiasm. It's fantastic. I, uh, us in England, we it's have, called, re- it's called passive aggressive reverse jinx. Yeah. Something like that. We, uh, unfortunately we're the other way. We're, we're going to assume that we're going to be terrible. And, uh, and then when we do do well, we'll, we'll be pleasantly surprised. You have to go, you know, lower your expectations a little bit. So, yeah, but we'll see. It's, it's going to just, that's what I tell the people who listen to my sermons. <laughs> lower your expectations, people. It's not going to be that good. No, but th- this group is definitely exciting. Um, I'm excited to, to play the USA. Iran, I've got to be honest, I really don't know a lot about, um, I was watching something on them last night. They seem okay. Wales is a known entity to us. Um, and to me, Wales is similar to the US in that they're actually quite talented and they're kind of dark horses in this World Cup in my book. They, they, they could actually string one together. Um, but on paper, again, they should not be as strong as England. So the group to me should, should be won by England. Then I think second place is between Wales and, and the USA, depending. Uh, and then Iran probably isn't going to cut it, but, but I could be completely wrong. Wouldn't it be amazing if like mm-hmm. Iran and Wales went through and <laughs> USA and England got dumped out? We'd all be very sad, but uh, I, I think that's unlikely. But this is why we play the tournament, right? Because you don't really know when it, it is an open game. Uh, you can say all these things on paper and, and statistics, but uh, got to play the games and, and the teams have got to win to get through. So, yeah, I can't wait to get started. The, uh, the good thing here, Matt, is uh, so Harry Kane is the favorite to win the Golden Boot, which is a fantastic name for a trophy. Uh, it's also, it uh, seems like it should be from Wyoming. Uh, the fun thing about Harry Kane is that you can say his name while you're doing your Michael Kane impression, and it sounds pretty good, you know. Harry Kane. My name is Harry um, Kane. So Harry Kane's your name, well, obviously they're Matt, and then um, they're so talented. There's not like there aren't a lot of like secret names to know. Right. But, uh, but my friend, uh, Bakayo Saka, AKA major league Saka, though he hasn't played there yet. I'm sure he's going to come play for the Rapids one day. Uh, there are fun pictures of him holding an inflatable unicorn. So. Which was hard to be also like on the sociological thing, right. That's actually a big part of England. Uh, the England squad as well. That's worth mentioning quickly, uh, is, um, uh, you know, this English team, uh, is, uh, uh, is, is, I think it's purely symptomatic of England wrestling with like its demographic changes as it becomes a more, uh, diverse place. Uh, and so, um, uh, folks like Raheem Sterling, uh, Bakayo Saka, um, players of color on the English national team, especially in the aftermath, there was uh, some explicit racist stuff uh, after uh, losing in the Euro finals uh, that the English team has taken on that. And, um, you know, 
it's been, uh, there's always interesting. I mean, that's the part of what's fun about the World Cup, right? Or the is it not just the soccer? It's the uh, reading into uh, the geopolitics and sociology of it all. Things that are there and aren't there is uh, from the armchair pretty fun or interesting. I have one more question. So one of my favorite things about the World Cup is all the iconography of the various countries. So I think I think Wales has a dragon, right? Like it was just I they learned that recently. It made me really excited. Uh, France always comes out looking like roosters. Uh, Mexico's got this <laughs> wonderful eagle. Uh, what's so England has lions? I believe what's the what's the story behind England's iconography? Well, it's three lions. Uh, three lions. And now you're going to test me because. You know, as an Englishman, you just you sort of accept things as they are, uh, and you don't necessarily look into where things came from. But that's part of probably some royal symbol back in the day, maybe Richard the Third or something like that. Uh, you know, had had lions as their symbol, and it kind of carries on through. So lions have been part of English royal imagery for a long, long, long time. Uh, and so it's, you know, that's kind of why it's included as, as on their badge. And the nickname is Three Lions. Yeah. So it comes from the, the badge on the chest. Um, yeah, it's, it's cool, man. It's uh, I never thought too much about it until your question, really. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it is. And that's that's probably some of where it comes from. But it's yeah, it's it's cool to refer to the team as the Three Lions. Uh, and the women's team is the Lionesses. And they, of course, won their Euro um, their Euro tournament, uh, which is which is really cool, and actually actually challenging the U.S. women's team to be number one at this point. So that's another talking point. But uh, yeah, kind of uh, kind of exciting on that front too. But yeah, three lines. Uh, let's go. Let's let's get stuck in. And what what, what I believe it's you know it's you know it's lions are native to England. Yeah, so uh, I think that's probably. <laughs> Back when the continents were still together. Where they come from. They probably killed a lot uh, of lions uh, in, the, in the colonial days, I'm sure. So there is that sad fact. Maybe it comes from that. Uh, my last little tidbit of what to look for in the group here uh, is, uh, I think what you can expect is Wales and Iran, Iran are going to play uh, very defensively. They're going to pack it all in, and they're going to make both the U.S. and England uh, try to break them down which is uh, an excellent strategy. Uh, it can be very frustrating to try to break down uh, teams. And so that's, uh, and that's going to be the danger for England in all three games because you can expect the U.S. to do the same as well, uh, knowing that they're outclassed talent-wise. They're going to pack it all in and see if England gets frustrated uh, and pull them out a bit uh, and hit them on the counter, Matt. you got to say hit them on the counter. That's the way uh, to people will know that you're a guy who knows what's going on. Okay. <laughs> that's right they're going to counter well the, the other phrase should be park the bus so park the bus they're going to park mm -hmm. the bus and then uh yeah the other team is going to play on the counter so if, if you can they're going to try they're going to park the bus and try and hit them on the counter yeah if, if, you, if you can use those two phrases in a, in a soccer conversation everyone will be like oh this guy totally knows what he's talking about let's well, just say that the other the other tidbit here matt the whales tidbit that i've got for you on um how to look smart is to say Everybody's going to talk about Gareth Bale because Gareth Bale is the most talented Welsh player. Uh, but I think you can come back and shade Gareth Bale a bit and say, you know, he wasn't starting at LAFC this season. He did score that he important goal in the final. at the end of MLS <laughs> Cup. But he wasn't starting, right? So, like, <laughs> so I listen to a lot of the BBC soccer podcasts, uh, you know, and when they're like, throw the shade at the MLS guys, you may want to throw out, you know, well, Gareth Bale couldn't make it the make the 11 for uh lasc this season so you could say doesn't matter though because he shows up when it counts and that that is gareth bale to a t that he might not be playing i mean have you styled your hair after gareth bale i think you might have. so i, mean, I, you know, I do yeah i'm sure you do the same you, that... you just show up and make it happen right and uh, <laughs> that's that's how gareth bale is and you could say yeah does, does it matter that he wasn't in the in the starting 11 for lafc uh, he comes on when it counts and, and makes a difference. So he's he's known. For that. The bad news is it's uh, Qatar is just a sand trap. So there's very little in the way of golfing opportunities to distract him, which notoriously 
has been a problem for him. Moving on to Iran. Uh, Iran is interesting in that uh, they have 27 guys on the roster. 25 of them, not very good. Uh, two of them, really pretty good. Uh, Tarimi is going to be the main guy for them. He plays at Porto, which is in Portugal, uh, which is a very solid squad. Uh, and then Asmon, who plays for Leverkusen in Germany. The thing is, Asmon has been uh, injured lately, so we don't know if he's going to be able to play. And then, you know, you want to put more like geopolitics on this? Uh, who knows what's going to happen with Iran and how uh, their team will respond to what's been going on in the country. Uh, they've been somewhat protest. They've done some protesty things uh, against the country and, Oh, we could do a whole other podcast on how you as a player handle all of the different, the, the geopolitics of everything and the stage and your own career and athletic ambitions and stuff is a difficult place to be, but we got to keep moving because you and an important person, uh, with, uh, uh, multinational business to run, um, <laughs> Yep. What you need to know, Ewan, about Matt, one of the things is that Matt is polyfamorous. Okay? He's polyfamorous. He is a fan of any team, essentially, where he can get, like, a cool shirt from. Yeah, I was going to say, is it something to do with the shirt? Uh, so, like, wow. Wow. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Because I, I, I wondered, why is this guy a Mexico fan? Is it something to do with yeah, the yeah. Is it a badge? Like, this is cool. It's, yes. got an eagle. it's got an eagle holding a snake. I'm going for that shirt. He doesn't even care. It could have been Azerbaijan. Like He doesn't care what it's what the shirt's for. He's just got it. Yeah, no, I, 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 I've I, been critical of Matt's You can let me speak for myself on this, or are you going <laughs> to? No, they're just going to you. Tell us about it, Matt. Mexico. Yeah. So the reason that I uh, became a Mexico fan, uh, you know, you could you could still judge, but it's actually not <laughs> based on how cool their jerseys are this particular year. Uh, my wife studies Mexican history. She went to grad school uh, to study Mexican history. And so the first time that she uh, had gone down there for research, I think it was 2006. It was the summer of 2006, which was a World Cup year. And mm. so we were like, I mean, compared to where we grew up, folks were really following it. <laughs> in Guadalajara and in Mexico city. And so she got into it and got me into it and came back with a, a knockoff soccer Jersey that she picked up at a market. Right. Um, and it was a really fun thing that we did uh, in 06. And then uh, in 2008, 2009, we lived in Mexico for a year and actually got super into soccer in a way that we hadn't been uh, living in the States. And so I got to know all the Mexico soccer players. Like when, when the national team played, like I actually knew who the players were because <laughs> I'd been watching them. Uh, all year long and so uh so yeah i got i got even more into it um since then uh i have a hard time keeping up with all the sports so i'm i'm not quite as up on it this year but that is the history of why i yeah i wear my mexico soccer jersey because we we lived there for a while uh and we got into it so that's that's why zach it's not just because their jerseys are super cool i feel like like that's legitimate you know, you have a you have, it is. you have a true connection. It's it's weird and interesting. It's weird. Uh, I mean, if it was a club team, I'd be like, absolutely, yep, yep, I go for it, <laughs> support them. But at least you the, you have the only reason. the only uh, problem. Like I'm, I fully support Matt's poly uh, fanery. <laughs> Right. Like it's a, I have been critical in the past, but now I've, I've come to see it's a much more joyful way to go through life. Uh, and I'm <laughs> jealous of it. Right? Uh, the only thing that troubles me about this particular instance here is that Matt went to the high school where Brian McBride went to high school. Oh. Uh, oh, that's right. I forgot that. <laughs> you know, so like he's got this close connection to American legend, Brian McBride and um, denies it. Uh, and that's okay. Mm. I do love, Mexico. I think any real American soccer fan loves Mexican soccer in the way that like love is a complex thing. Uh, you know, it's having Mexico as the standard bearer for, for those 40, 50, 60 years uh, has been critical to the growth of the game in the United States. Uh, it's, I love Mexico. I loved, uh, uh, I've loved going to Mexico, loved the trip when you were there in 08, 09. Uh, still, still uh, am quite nostalgic about that. Uh, am able to to also breed a healthy uh, dislike of the Mexican national team uh, 
in a pretty healthy way, I think. Right. That's pretty fun. Uh, but right. Like it's, that spurs on and grows the game in the U S uh, and that's the thing I care about. So I, I love them in that regard. And if you can get into Spanish language media, uh, following the Mexican national team is nuts. Ewan, like it's, it is on par, I think with like, sort of like English tabloid, like, except like, crazy like crazier oh yeah it's, it's not like a not like a uh crazier like scary crazy but like just not is this is this professional wrestling yeah. what's happening here no i think i i love that I've, i mean i don't speak spanish but i've heard some of the color commentary and it's it's fantastic how excited they get about it is like nothing else on earth and i love that That's- well so here here's the thing here's just what's gonna make you look smart about the national team right uh matt uh mexico historically just so consistent everybody respects mexico globally which bothers me you know as i'm jealous of as an american as a u.s fan right is like mexico just has like the street cred of like oh they're pretty good uh i mean nobody like super fears them right but they're like "Ah, pretty good uh and that's because they've done it since 1994 they've qualified for every world cup and gotten out of the group every time and every single time lost in the round of 16 uh which gives you reputation i guess uh so you got that going for you uh here's the problem that this this is probably the least talented mexico team in that time um or not as good right as a team Uh, a part of the issue with mexico is the internationalization of the game the globalization of the game as more and more mexican uh, internationals have gone abroad uh, and are playing in europe for years and years they all play together in liga mx and so international soccer football is a strange thing because you just like you meet these guys one day and then you play like these really important matches, but you don't like play together every day. Uh, and so one of the the shortcuts to success is through familiarity and having them played lots of them, right? Like, you know, for years, decades, right? If you were playing for the Mexican national team, you play for America or Chivas and that's it. Right. Uh, and so you played together every week with like half the guys and you knew all them and you played all the time. Uh, and so now that, you know, isn't the case anymore that, you know, your Rafa Marquez's were in Barcelona and your Chicharitos went to Manchester United and Leverkusen and everybody left and um, Liga MX got better. Uh, and now, well, they got moneyed her. And so the talent is more spread out, right? Especially Monterey, the teams in Monterey, Tigres and Monterey have lots of money now and uh, spend with America and Chivas. And so it's spread out and they like that familiarity. So not only is the talent not as great as it has been, you don't have that familiarity as well, but uh, you still got a shot. You got a great group draw. You play in Argentina, uh, who obviously is probably going to win the group. But then uh, really just looking at Poland and Robert Lewandowski. But Poland hasn't been that great. So you got, even with a bad team, you got, a, I think, a 50-50 shot to get out of the group. Uh, there is one name to watch, an up-and-coming uh, younger guy, Edson Alvarez, who plays uh, for Ajax right now and has been linked heavily with Chelsea. Defensive midfielder who's going to, um, who can really control the game, which is what Mexico likes to do. They like to hold onto the ball. Uh, and of course, Matt, they have my personal arch nemesis freaking Mimo Ochoa for the 8,000th year is going to the world cup with Mexico. And he looks identical as he did when he was born. Uh, he was born playing goalkeeper for America and he will die playing goalkeeper for America. Is that good or bad? I don't know, but he's still there. Well, so Matt, still can, can I ask you if as an American, you know, are you going to support both teams or you, you're purely in for Mexico here? Like, how, how does that dynamic work? <laughs> I mean, if uh, if Mexico is limited and the U.S. is still advancing, great. But I, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, because for me, like, you know, I have been to quite a few U.S. national team games now. When the U.S. is playing, I will support the U.S. Okay. Uh, but now that they're playing England, there's of course I can't support the US when they're playing England, but as part of this World Cup, as part of the group, I will go to the US games with Zach and whoever else and other buddies and cheer for US. And then for the England games, I'll switch shirts and I'll cheer for England. So I'm wondering if you're going to be doing any of that or you're just like, I'm I'm all Mexico all the time and I, I'm not supporting my own country. Forget them. I would... <laughs> I would be more interested in other teams. <laughs> wow. Shocking. Mm-hmm. Shocking. We need to yeah. look more into your background. Did you do a background check on this? The, uh, 
we don't require, as you know, now you we don't require uh, background checks to come on the podcast. Why do those people um, come to my house earlier today then? <laughs> Gestapo looking folks. They're the veterinarians. Um, oh, that's right. That's... The, so here's the drama thing. Um, Matt, uh, Mexico has a hard time scoring goals right now. Uh, really, it's just Chucky Lozano, who can, who's pretty talented, but they've had real difficulty scoring goals. Uh, the thing is, there's this dramatic falling out between Carlos Vela, star for LAFC, uh, who actually starts every week for LAFC, and um, and the Mexican national team. The same thing with Chicharito, where they have been kind of disowned from the national team setup. And if you want your hot take on the Mexican national team, uh, it is to say when they're not scoring goals during the game, I don't know why they just can't like suck it up and call Vela in, right? Do whatever you need to do to get Vela back in the squad, like. You've got guys, Vela's incredible and can score goals and um, the Federation can't work it out with him, right? There's always soap opera drama going on with like big guys, right? Like who's, Vela's a bigger star than anybody on the, the team right now uh, and they can't for reasons that aren't public. Uh, he is not a part of the national team setup. So here's your hot take. Well, Ewan, uh, we've appreciated you being with us to prepare us and our listeners who are hopefully going to spend a lot of time in their sermons in the coming week uh, making really tortured analogies uh, between world football and uh, homiletics or whatever. Uh, before you go, uh, you always got to ask, right, who's who's going to win uh, the World Cup and maybe a dark horse? How about that? Surprise team to make a deep run. Yeah, uh, well... Argentina, definitely one of the favorites. France is always France. You look at the France squad, oh my gosh. So full of talent. And it's funny because when you look at French um, league teams, they're not that great other than maybe PSG and uh, Marseille. Qatar owns PSG. Yeah, see, exactly. Qatar owns PSG. Money again talks. They've got home field advantage. They do. So, yeah, France is an amazing squad, and they're up there. Brazil are looking good. Um, and then kind of after that, it's a bit of a toss-up, but in- England are definitely in there if, if their talent can shine through. Um, so if-, if I was to put money on it, oy. between Mexico, sorry, Mexico, because if it was Mexico jersey, it's put me off. Um, it's between Argentina and Brazil, I think. Uh, but, of course... I want England to actually win it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna just say England are gonna win it, uh, but that's probably uh, just ridiculous. So yeah, it's got, I think it's going to South America this time, either Brazil or Argentina. So there you go, close to you there in Mexico, Matt. So if you can't win it for yourselves, <laughs> get one of your closer neighbors to try and get it for you, and then maybe you can visit. Love it. All right, fellas, there I am gonna have, have to go, listeners. I'm afraid. Well, we appreciate you being well, thank you. Good, good luck to your church people. And I hope they're obviously going to be praying hard for these teams and cogitating on uh, the ethical dilemma of actually watching this stuff. So good luck to everybody. Good luck to everybody. All right. Thanks, you. And how do, how do I end this? Can I? <laughs> real. I'll end it. Oh, you'll end it. Okay. Can I just go? No. Yeah, I'll play the music, play you out, and we'll say, uh, hey, hey, see you later, Ewan. All right, take care, fellas. Bye-bye.